Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. So the first, first thing you'll really like is um, perennial peanuts. These are uh, prostrated creeping plants. Uh, they're, they're kind of new-ish in the south. Uh, people have been growing them in Florida for quite a while. Um, these are propagated by rhizomes or rhizomes, excuse me. Um, and the inoculant is basically included in the plugs. And if you've ever grown any peanuts uh, or cowpeas, because peanuts and cowpeas use the same, uh, same inoculant, uh, you'll, you'll be okay with this. Um, they have somewhat showy flowers. Um, you see on the picture, they're little yellow flowers. They can be used as, as an ornamental. You can plant them out there and, and you know, have little pretty swaths of uh, peanut flowers. Like other peanuts, they've got uh, um, their, their, uh, they've got you know, compound leaves, but they've got four, which is kind of a weird number to me because I'm used to seeing trifoliates. So this is, a, I guess, a four-foliate. Um, they fix about uh, 150 pounds of nitrogen per acre. And if you look at the look at the picture, the peanuts are a little bit different shape, differently shaped than the peanuts you're used to. Uh, the next one is Cajanus uh, Cajan or pigeon pea. Around the rest of the world, this is a food crop. Um, it's found all all over tropical areas. Um, I've I've eaten it. Um, I had friends who were uh, who were Panamanian. They make this thing called coconut rice, and they put pigeon peas in it, and they're pretty tasty. It's a pretty uh, efficient nitrogen fixer. It uh, puts about 250 pounds per acre of, of nitrates into the soil. It produces about uh, two and a half tons of dry matter per acre, or uh, 35 tons of fresh of fresh weight per acre. It gets uh, pretty tall, so it um, it can be used as like a like a, a, a hay or a forage crop or whichever, but it's 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 tall. So you know, if you're going to harvest it, make sure that it's at a at a at an appropriate stage. Um, it, an interesting thing about it is the roots exude uh, pisidic acid, and this helps release insoluble phosphates from the soil. So this helps itself to the phosphates, and then if you uh, if you mow it and incorporate it or mulch it, it also um, helps the next crop. Um, cassia, it it has a couple of names. Um, uh, it's either cassia rotundifolia or chemicrista rotundifolia, but these are uh, partridge peas. Now the rotundifolia is 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 the preferred uh, cover crop around, I guess, the world and in tropical areas where they're using cassia. But there's one that's native to Texas, which is uh, cassia fasciculata. Um, now, fasciculata, it, it's more erect; it, it stands up. But you have to you have to beware of these if you're using them uh, as a forage crop because they can be toxic to cattle in their later stages of development. So after they flower. Um, or once once they get towards flowering and then uh, up to seed set, you don't want uh, cattle uh, grazing on them. It uses the same inoculant as cowpeas and peanuts, 
uh, as I said before, the fasciculata is native to Texas, and it, it produces about 560 pounds of seed per acre. So if you want to produce this, and a lot of these that I'm talking about today, they don't have good seed sources. So the opportunity is there for someone to you know, start a seed company growing, specializing in, uh, in some of these forages, some of these uh, cover crops. Uh, next is uh, Centrosoma uh, uh, mali or Centrosoma uh, pubescens. If I include both names, it's it's because um, you know science is always advancing, and and one group of scientists might use one name and another might use a different name. So uh, this is a soft butterfly pea. It's a really pretty flower. You know, it's got the little papillionaceous thing going on, the, the little keel. It's a pretty little flower, but uh, it's, a, it's a workhorse in the fields because it can fix about 300 pounds of nitrogen per year per acre. That's quite a bit. That'll, that'll save you uh, some good money on, on nitrogen-based fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizers. Um, it produces about five, five tons of dry matter per acre per year. This one, unlike most of the others, it tolerates waterlogging. So that's a plus if you're in floody areas. Uh, it has really uh, deep uh, tap roots, and it's good for bank stabilization. Kudzu was another one that they brought here for bank stabilization. So you know, be aware. You know that these were all these plants were brought here for a purpose. Now those purposes may have changed over the years, but there was a purpose when they came. Uh, its use is used as a green manure crop in rubber and palm, palm uh, plantations. Now, I mentioned earlier, talked about uh, manure, that's, that's animal manure. Green manure is another name for a crop that you mow and incorporate in the soil for its manure-like uh, benefits to the soil. It's also a, a fodder crop. You can let your, um, your animals graze on it. It does about 20 tons fresh uh, fresh matter per acre, and then uh, three tons of dry matter. And that's the fresh is like like it says, it's fresh. It's it's still wet. It's got all the water in it. The dry is when you've tried to make it into hay. Uh, another pretty cover crop is uh, Clitoria terniata. This one is the uh, butterfly pea, and it's uh, native to sub-Saharan Africa. Um, like Centrosoma, it's also um, inoculated with cowpea-type uh, cow uh, rhizobium. It's very beautiful. Uh, I, I love the flowers on this. I used to grow this in the greenhouse and let it run all over the place. Um, it yields about two tons per acre uh, dry matter, and if you don't really, you know, do too much to it, but it'll yield more if you fertilize it. Uh, about 15 pounds per acre is the optimal seeding rate. Next is Crotillaria gensia, or not also known as sun hemp. Um, this one fixes about uh, 300 pounds of nitrogen uh, or nitrates per acre uh, per year as well. Uh, it produces about five tons of dry matter. It's uh, if it effectively attracts uh, beneficials, especially trichogramma, because little moths will uh, go in the in the sun hemp and they'll lay their eggs and uh, the uh, trichogramma will go in there and find it, and then the uh, they'll build up in 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 the in the crotal area, and then move on to uh, adjacent fields. This is another one that's uh, also inoculated with the cowpea group. This is a Desmodium uncinatum. 
Um, it's the silverleaf desmodium. Uh, it roots at nodes very similar to uh, sweet potatoes. It's uh, native to South America. Um, it's got a cousin called um, Desmodium intortum, but it's more tolerant of flooding. It's uh, in high water tables and uh, to uh, lower pHs, so it can take some uh, different extremes than its uh, green leaf cousin. The difference between uh, Uncinatum and Entortum is Uncinatum has uh, the silver stripes and Entortum is just a solid uh, green leaflet. Um, these are not suitable for clay soils. Um, they need very good, uh, very well-drained soils, well-drained sandy soils. Um, these don't produce very well in dry periods, but they will live. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll hang on, but they won't be productive uh, when it gets too dry. Um, these will benefit from a, a little bit of a molybdenum uh, application. Um, a lot of these trace elements and micronutrients, we really don't know what. Uh, what they're they're good for exactly in some of these crops, but this one has been shown to uh, get better production with molybdenum. Um, this one has a very high tannin content, uh, high high tannin content, so it's not as palatable to uh, livestock, but it helps uh, control hummus contortus, which is uh, int intestinal nematodes. Next is lab lab purpurea. Many people know this as an ornamental. Uh, they call it the hyacinth bean. This is a food crop in Africa and Asia. You can actually eat the young pods, um, but they have to be young. You cannot eat them after they start drying out and all that. Um, here in the United States, it's gaining popularity as a deer attractant, and I, I think that's that's pretty cool that you know it started off as a food crop, and now we're over here using it also as a food crop, but for deer. So. And that's that's pretty interesting. Um, it's got very very showy flowers. I love the the flowers on these. They're very pretty, and um, uh, like I said earlier, they're edible when they're succulent. When they're in the very very young stage, you can eat them. They're a weekly perennial, and that's depending on the variety and where you're at. If you're in a place where it's gonna frost, they're going to die over the winter time, but they'll they'll reseed and all that. Um, it effectively smothers and crowds out weeds, but it's initially slow to start. Um, so it, it needs weeding until the vines are actively actively running. Next is Makuna prurians. These are velvet beans, and uh, to you pranksters out there, uh, this is what uh, where itching powder comes from. So the there's a form of it, a cultivar called Utilis, or Makuna prurians var uh, Utilis, that's not so pruritous, it's not so, uh, not so itchy. So this was once widely used in the southern United States, but it was supplanted by soybeans, probably because they didn't have the Utilis variety yet, and so it was still itchy. So they wanted to get rid of this itchy thing and replace it with something that, uh, more tame. Uh, a related species to this is uh, Makuna bracteata. It's becoming more popular in tropical regions and is used as a cover crop in rubber plantations. Excuse me, uh, rubber plantations in India. It, it could be very useful for papaya groves here in, in the United States. Uh, next is the uh, Phaseolus coccinius or the uh, scarlet runner bean. Uh, these are these are also another ornamental. Um, they're from uh, Central America. 
They spread to the South America, North America, and all that. Uh, well, they spread by people. Uh, these are a perennial, but they're often often treated as an annual. Uh, both the roots and pods can be eaten, uh, like Lab Lab. Um, the pods should only be be eaten when they're young. And this is this is related to um, common beans. Uh, common beans are uh, Phaseolus vulgaris. This is Phaseolus coccineus. So both of them use common bean inoculant. Uh, yields of uh, of scarlet runner bean is uh, they're better in monoculture than intercrop uh, interplant it with uh, with other things. But if you're going to intercrop it with something, the uh, the best one is sunflowers. Uh, next is Stylosanthes guianensis. Uh, this is native to Central and South America. It can grow over a meter tall, sometimes up to 2.5 meters, depending on the fertility of the soil and, and the, uh, the the activity of its uh, of its uh, rhizobium. Uh, this prefers open textured soils, no heavy clays. It does not do well with wet feet. It does not do well in uh, poorly drained soils. It's very very adaptable uh, when pH is concerned from a range of 4 to 8.3, from very, very acid to very, very alkaline. So it could take it all as long as its roots are, are uh, in a well-drained soil. Uh, its erect habit lends itself to uh, multi-cropping uh, multi with a scrambling type of legume to get even more nitrogen fixation. So you've got one legume that stands up tall, like, uh, like the Cassia fasciculata, or, or um, the sun hemp, you can put another leguminose cover crop underneath them, like uh, like the cassia, um, the, the cassia rotundifolia, or or iron and clay peas, or something like that that scrambles on the bottom, so that you can you know get massive amounts of nitrogen fixation and vegetation and dry matter and all those good things that you want from a cover crop. Um, now, earlier I mentioned that uh, some of these th crops have allelopathic uh, tendencies. Stylosanthes is one of those. If you're going to use stylosanthes, you cannot uh, come behind it with cotton because it will depress your yield in, in your cotton crops. Uh, next is uh, Vigna radiata which is, uh, I, I mentioned iron and clay peas. This is not an iron and clay pea, but this is related to them. Um, this is uh, mung beans. Um, now, you can eat the little, a little, uh, the little beans. They're, they're cute. I, I like mung beans. They, they, they look like, you know, something I want to eat. But this is where bean sprouts come from. Um, these uh, benefit from arbuscular mycorrhiza. And mycorrhizae, if you don't know, are soil fungus that form association with plant roots, and they set up an exchange. So the plant gives the fungus carbohydrates, and the fungus gives the plant uh, water and uh, nutrients from from far away. So uh, mycorrhizae vastly extend the uh, the reach of plant roots. So this is one one of those that benefits from you know, uh, inoculation with both the rhizobium and mycorrhiza. This is a, a grain type legume. Uh, it's known all over the world to use as uh, used for human consumption. Uh, the, now the cultivars or the, uh, the the selective varieties are usually erect, 
while the wild forms are more prostrate. And the prostrate forms are better, better suited for cover crops. All right, so for more information on this topic, you can email me, uh, justind at ncat.org. You can find other episodes of ATRA, Voices from the Field, along with ATRA's other sustainable agriculture resources at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org.